Welcome to episode 589 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show where you are in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Wow, you're you're changing the intro like well, you all know, on your own. It's been a couple years. <laughs> we didn't even talk about it. This is it's, what happens when I'm not actually looking at it when we start the show. Oh well, it, it's it seemed like you were actually pretty well prepared for that. So <laughs> we'll see if you can do it again next time. All right. See if you can do it two two episodes in a row. You notice I didn't say two weeks in a row because we haven't been great at doing it. Mm-hmm. Two weeks. In Although a row. We, here but we are, we did this time two Tuesdays in a row for our live show with those who have joined us on Twitch. Thank you very much. And that streak probably ends at two because next Tuesday is a busy night for me. So oh. we'll see if I can get the notes ready ahead of time. Maybe we can get started a little bit later on next Tuesday night. But I don't know. That that night is a rough one. So we'll see. But another thing that we've got this week is some listener feedback. These are both sent into our inboxes at entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com. The first one is from Bob. This message surprised the heck out of me when I got it on Saturday. (laughs) Bob says, I'm a longtime user of a plugin that you developed for the InfiniTV4 tuner. It was called InfiniTV Status Media Center Plugin. It's a brilliant little plugin that lets me monitor the temps and signal strengths of the tuner that can run very hot. I'm still using the original Infinity V4 tuner that I got back in 2010, and it's working great. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He says, I just migrated my setup to a new, in quotes, Windows 7 PC, but I somehow lost the plugin. It's nowhere to be found on the internet anymore. Is there any chance that you still have a copy of it that you can share? So first, uh, just a little bit of, of background here, because there's a lot of people who have no idea what the heck it is that we just talked about. <laughs> <laughs> right? So this whole podcast started because of Windows Media Center. We loved that thing back then. I mean, we still do. We just don't use it anymore. And back when the Infinity V4 came out, which was the first multi-tuner cable card tuner available for for Windows Media Center. It did have a tendency of running a little bit hot um, and and some other issues like that. So I, because that is my my background is in software development, I wrote a Windows Media Center plugin that would allow you to view diagnostic information about this tuner right inside of Windows Media Center. It was not the prettiest thing ever, but it worked. It did its job. And apparently Bob is still using it or was until he built a new computer. And while he says it's nowhere on the internet, um, the biggest problem there is I freaking wrote this. I hosted it on our website, the digitalmediazone.com, and it's not and there. And Richard deleted it when we <laughs> redesigned the site. Well, I don't know if that's what actually happened. Yeah. It's possible. So I, we need to dig through some archives to see if we can find this. Josh, I remember you talking about this. And specifically, I remember you talking about what a pain in the butt it was to develop for Windows Media Center. Dude, it was so rough. I hated it. <laughs> but but this app wasn't too hard because it had... There was like no interactivity. I don't, I, you know, maybe there was like an about screen and that's it. Cause yeah, writing media center plugins was a nightmare. And I have major respect for anybody who was actually able to do that back in the day. So yes, we will continue searching. I have not been able to find it on my computer, on my NAS, on my NAS backup folders of my old windows, uh, Windows Home Server, because <laughs> I had one of those too. Uh, I've not been able to find the source code, the the setup file, none of this hmm. stuff. So I'm going to keep looking. But I also thought, you know, while while it's a little embarrassing to publicly announce that we've completely lost this, I thought, let's talk about it on the show. Because 
Maybe some of our listeners still have it. If you do, let me know and send it to me because I can't find it anywhere. And I'd really like to help out Bob or anybody else who still wants to use this thing. So, yeah. It's like the yeah. the lost tapes from networks where they decided to tape over <laughs> old stuff because they needed more tape. No, yeah, maybe pretty much. Not exactly it, like that. It's not exactly like that. And for all of you developers out there who are like, didn't you have this stored on GitHub or any of that? Like, I don't even think GitHub existed back then. <laughs> like, that's how old this is. Right. Okay. So back off. All right. All well, right. do you want to take this next message? Yeah. So this is from John. And this is a John different than the John that you might expect that we're hearing from. This is a listener who's been listening for a very long time. And despite weeding out some of his podcasts, says that he is still listening to Entertainment 2.0. So we totally appreciate that. He has a question for me that I'm going to rather um, briefly summarize. And that is that he has purchased a vacation rental. I wonder why the question's to me. <laughs> and he's heading into the rental season and wondering, well, it's time to replace the TVs, what to do about that? Because consumers who go and rent an average home expect oftentimes to have cable TV there, but the, at the same time, streaming is becoming more and more popular. And sometimes people want to use uh, their devices to stream content, and he's wondering, you know, should I let them just log into their own service? Does that cause problems if they forget to log out? Or should I maybe have some services that they can use provide them with parental pins just in case it's necessary to make sure that the little kiddos don't just watch stuff that they shouldn't be watching. And then generally, how do you manage all of this? Because you don't live there. This is your vacation rental. And he mentions that he's over eight hours away from his vacation rental. So I, again, I'm going to summarize my experience as best I can, but I have found this to be enormously frustrating. <laughs> I have smart Samsung TVs in our rental property that we purchased, and they have all the streaming services. But if you, as a person who's renting our home, wants to stream to a service that isn't already loaded on that TV, you need to log into Samsung's service with your Samsung account on the TV to download the specific app that you then need to log in to get your streaming service. Samsung has a horrible way of managing logins to their TVs. In fact, one of my guests logged in and I can't remove his login. I can log in as him, but I can't remove his login because I don't know his password. I need his password to be able to log him out, which may be that the, is so dumb. I mean, is, actually, I can't believe that's that. not technically true. I can log him out, but the account doesn't go away, and it, if I click log in, it just goes right back in again. It is the <laughs> dumbest way of managing things. So my first advice would be: don't buy Samsung smart TVs because that's not friendly for a rental property at all. What I would recommend as far as TVs go is that you look into buying TVs with Roku built in. Roku has this problem solved. Roku has a guest mode and anybody connecting to a TV that's set up to be in guest mode can then sign in, download, use any of the apps available through Roku and they will be logged out of them at the end of the period that they are using that television. So it's a really slick system and nobody else is doing this. So I, I would highly suggest looking into TVs that have Roku built in. I think that's a big deal. Now, he also mentions that he has Spectrum Cable and he's going to keep the cable because guests expect that and he's absolutely right. Guests do expect that. 
He said he knows that I talked about putting an Xbox in our vacation home. And I have done that. I don't honestly know how well that is being received. Nobody's commented on it. It's a perk in our listing, but it, it hasn't come up specifically yet. And we're just at the beginning of the season. So I'll know a little bit more as we get into the season. But I did create a generic account for the Xbox for the house so that you anybody that, that's there can just go ahead and select the house account and then – you know, I don't know what they do there because it's – I don't have anything paid for there. So what they really need to do is log in themselves and remember to log out. Now, one thing that I did do – I know it doesn't work because I've forgotten to do this myself. But I have put up little uh, – I guess like three by five or three by eight cards where all the remotes are with a little bit of instruction on the remotes and a big red reminder at the bottom that says, please log out of any streaming services before you leave. But if you've ever rented a vacation place, you know that that morning that you leave is insane. And that's probably not something that people are going to remember to do. So there's always the concern or the possibility that people are going to forget to log out and end up getting other people potentially accessing their account and influencing their played shows list and therefore their algorithm. And that's a risk that they take by logging in at a place. I stop feeling bad about that. I'm just, you know, th there's, I, there's not a whole lot that I can do. Again, Roku goes pretty far to solve most of this. So my best advice that I can give is look to Roku and see if a Roku device or a Roku TV might be the best solution for you. I, I think that's a good suggestion. My my one question for you is that you know your 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 particular setup, you know, you've got, you know, you're on the beach, you're catering to, you know, slightly higher, you know, slightly higher end clientele. We don't know anything about uh his particular place. But if somebody right. is you know, trying to build a, a, you know, a higher end type place. When I think Roku TVs, typically the TVs that have Roku installed by default are the lower end models. Would you have any concerns about that? No, <laughs> I, no, I wouldn't because it's a rental and these things get beat up. I mean, you can buy a 4k, can't you, can't you buy a oh, yeah. 4k Roku TV? Oh, yeah. And yeah. for dirt cheap. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you're not going to put like some high-end OLED in a rental property. <laughs> that's that's just not how you do this. I think the most expensive TV I have in that house costs like 800 and some dollars. And it's a 70-inch oh, wow. television. Okay. <laughs> this okay. explains why there's only two HDMI connections. But, I, I mean – you know, it's a rental and, and guests use that as a joke to say, I can do anything. It's a rental. But I think that owners also need to think about it's a rental and it's not really worth worrying about getting the best and greatest as long as you get something that's usable. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I, I really do like your Roku suggestion there. It does sound like they've got this figured out the best. So there you go. Lots of options for TVs with Roku built in. So, and, and they're almost always very inexpensive. <laughs> so go and check those out. Yep. All right. That's it for our feedback. We'll have all of our contact information at the end of the show, uh, or just over at the digital to get it. But now we're going to jump into the news fairly light this week. Uh, but first up in the video segment is, uh, an update to Google TV that's starting to roll out. This was actually announced last fall. And when Google announced it, they said that this change would be coming in December. If you're not aware, it's May. So they're a little bit late on this one. And it looks like they might have made some fairly drastic changes to the to what they had originally announced anyway. So 
what they said they were going to do was a pretty drastic overhaul of what you would essentially think of as the screensaver interface on Google TV. And again, we're talking Google TV here, not Android TV. So the most popular device is, of course, the Chromecast with Google TV. And what this was supposed to do is, in addition to continuing to allow you to display a screensaver with your Google Photos libraries, which is fantastic and pretty much everyone loves that functionality, is that it would also display what what they kind of call personalized cards. And so sort of like if you've got a Nest Hub or you know a a Google Smart Display in your house, sort of similar to that where it would have cards for the weather and they said sports scores, news potentially things like that. It and what's rolling out now doesn't look exactly the way it was showed shown back last fall. It's similar and it has most of what they were talking about and a, a few extra things, I believe. It does definitely still have the weather, which is, I think, super important. Um, it does have, you know, small cards for random YouTube videos or Spotify playlist, uh, links to Google podcast episodes, but it doesn't really look that appealing. And when it did come up for for the the users who spotted this over at, at nine to five Google, um, they they kind of made it sound like it was just like a random Spotify playlist and a random YouTube video. And uh, there there was one in there for essentially like a generic Google Assistant question. So like just it it doesn't seem like it's maybe as well executed as it could have been and. That's kind of amazing because Google has, I mean, there's only one company on the internet that might have more information about you, and that's Facebook. So if Google can't (laughs) figure out how to put a really good personalized experience in front of you for this, that's kind of scary and, and, and frustrating, really. Yeah. Yeah. So there aren't many people who have this yet. And 9to5Google, they saw this while they were testing some new Android TV streamer that is trying to to look through the the article now. Um, You know, it was from, yeah, from a company called MeCool, M-E-C-O-O-L, the MeCool KD3. Like, this just sounds like some random generic streaming stick that you could get on Alibaba or something like that, right? Yep. And they saw it there. And and while looking through the comments, anybody else who said they had it said that they had it on other devices that were not the Chromecast with Google TV. So it seems like this is something that's being enabled in the cloud, not just within the software itself. And that Google has specifically not pushed this out to their own device, which if it's kind of not great, that would explain why. And every commenter on this post who had the experience said they hated it and were looking forward to disabling it. Uh, Take that with a grain of salt, though. I mean, these are comments on the internet, so you're probably going to get far more people complaining about it than you would be people uh, being excited about it. But Richard, you actually use the Chromecast with Google TV. Were you excited about this at all? Yeah, I was looking forward to this because I love the screensaver. I think it's great. And adding information cards that would have weather and videos that you might be interested in. And you're right. I mean, they're really good at knowing what videos I'm interested in because they track everything I'm watching. And that they blew it this big just surprises me. I... I don't know what to make of this. I don't know if maybe there's an early release of it. There doesn't seem to be anything official from Google about this yet. And it strikes me as odd that it's not first released on one of Google's flagship devices. So I have to wonder if some of these random devices 
are using, I don't know, like beta versions or early releases of Google TV or something hmm. as opposed to what Google might be intentionally rolling out. I don't know what to make of it. I just hope they didn't misstep this bad because so far my experience with the new and improved Google TV, after all of the bad things I had to say years ago about Google TV, has been really good. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is what what we really need, especially now that that, that device is – is it is it one and a half or two and a half years old at this point? Oh, I, I, good. I don't remember question. when exactly it came out. And with I think the pandemic screwing with a timeline, it's impossible to remember. Yeah, it is hard to remember. I think it's a year. I think it's a little over a year and a half. If I remember okay. correctly, I think it came out roughly about the time that I bought my new TV in my office, which was okay. like October. No, no, actually, it was like around December of. 2020? Yeah. Okay. Wait. Yeah. So that's a year and a half ago. Yeah. A year and a half. Yeah. Okay. And these last two years device. have been really hard to measure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's a $50 device. You don't expect top of the line hardware in a $50 device, but it's only got eight gigs of onboard storage, which means it doesn't have tons of room for tons of apps. It seems like the memory is, you know, that maybe it doesn't have tons of onboard memory either, and it really starts to bog down after a while. I want a flagship Google TV Chromecasty device. Yeah. The NVIDIA Shield is nice. Good. But I want the Google TV interface. Roku has the Roku Ultra. I want a Chromecast. And I actually had a Chromecast Ultra, right? <laughs> uh, the, you know, before this thing. But I want a beefier version of this. My NVIDIA Shield's okay, but I'm ready to move on with, with real Google TV. I mean, and honestly, your NVIDIA Shield is still the best that you can get. It just doesn't have the latest experience for right. whatever reason. And I don't even understand what that reason is because that is a more powerful device than that dongle that I have hanging from the back <laughs> right. of my TV. Right, right. But if, if they were to put out a higher-end Chromecast Google TV device that was 100 bucks, yep. I would buy it. I'd buy it. So make yep. it happen, Google, please. Okay, well, let's move on and talk about some audio news. This uh, <laughs> We probably don't actually have to talk much about this device because we already did from the leaks, and that is the new Sonos soundbar. The only thing that we really got wrong about it was the name. It's actually well, called, uh, and and I guess we we're off a little bit on the price. You're right there. Well, no, no, I'm I'm thinking we were wrong on the name. It was a code name. So well, that's now we know the real name. Yeah, that, I, I I like the way you're looking at it. We didn't get anything wrong. You're right, right Richard. We right. were 100 percent right. Uh, so the the Sonos Ray is Sonos's newest. Soundbar, this is their their third offering in their Soundbar lineup, and it is the least expensive option coming in at $279, which is almost $200 less expensive than the next model up, the Sonos Beam. And that's for some pretty good reasons. It doesn't have nearly as much technology as the Beam does. It, you know, it's it's a more run-of-the-mill soundbar. It doesn't do Atmos. It doesn't have upward-firing speakers for that sort of stuff. It It's smaller. It has fewer speakers. It doesn't even have an HDMI input. It uses optical audio to connect to your TV. And uh, with, with that, it also means that it doesn't support a lot of the more advanced audio codecs, but I don't think any of that matters because if it doesn't have the speakers in it to do Atmos and things like that, does it really matter that it doesn't, you know, via the rest, you know, the cables that connect to it, that it doesn't support those things? Well, I don't think so. Yeah, well, right. And and those two go hand in hand, right? I mean, it can use a Toslink connection or whatever you call it these days because it it can't do the whole spatial audio thing. Right. That 
that cable can't carry that, so they don't have the speakers for that in it. This is definitely designed for a uh, a lower caliber home theater experience, but a more affordable home theater experience. So I don't think that's a bad thing. I think no. it's frankly surprising that they're offering something at this price level that doesn't have all the bells and whistles that they usually try to deliver. Right. And it does still have all of the normal Sonos bells and whistles. It's It'll connect to all of your other Sonos speakers. So you can even pair it with a Sonos sub. You can pair it with Sonos ones if you want to do you know real surround sound. All of that still works. It'll work in uh, you know of course a, a group you know multi room audio setup. It has AirPlay two on it. It's got Spotify Connect on it. Like it has all of the normal Sonos stuff except for a microphone. You can't use it as a voice assistant, which we talked about this last time. Yeah. I'm not so sure that's that so big what? of a deal. Yeah. So. And, you know, I saw some comments of people saying, well, if this doesn't have HDMI, then it's it's a non-starter for me. Really? Why? Have you ever actually connected a soundbar or something like that through HDMI ARC? I'm going to bet that all of those people who are thinking it's a non-starter if it doesn't have HDMI have never actually tried to use HDMI for this because well, it's not very reliable. Yeah, I, I don't know that I want to go that far down that path, but I would say that it's very likely that your TV that has ARC for audio out also very likely has the ability to give you a a uh, fiber connection for your audio as well. I forget uh, the SPDIF or the uh, Toslink connection. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. HDMI has nothing to do with it, as far as I'm concerned. It really comes down to: Are you going to be happy with a five point something system, which is the best that this can support? And frankly. That's all Sonos had until they came out with the Arc. Right. For years, many, many years. And there are rumors now that they might also come out with a lower grade or less expensive version of their subwoofer. Finally. So Well, and yeah, that's that's the big thing because I I saw this news and thought, I I could potentially get down with this. Like this might be a good solution for me. Everybody talks about how good the the Sonos audio quality is, but for me, I have to have a subwoofer. Like come on, I've got to have a subwoofer. But that subwoofer is $700? Eight, it's 799, I believe. It it, Eight, it $800 is yeah, it's, just for the subwoofer. It's really expensive. Yeah. That's like I, I I'm not buying an eight hundred dollar subwoofer for a two hundred eighty dollar soundbar. That maybe maybe I'm the crazy person, but that just seems like insanity. No, I agree. I'm I'm not either. So I'm living without subwoofer right now. So I'm looking Oof. forward to the possibility of this rumored subwoofer. Also, and we didn't really talk about this, and it's not really that important. You can buy the Rome portable speaker in colors now for some reason. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, right. But the the other actual announcement from Sonos over the last week is that they are now releasing their own voice assistant, and they're just calling it Sonos Voice Control, mm. and it works exactly how you'd expect it to work. You say, hey, Sonos, and then ask it to do something. And... uh you can pretty much just ask it to play music for you, which is, I guess, what you would expect to do from your Sonos. And it supports Sonos Radio, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Deezer, and Pandora. A, you notice Spotify wasn't in that list? A, a perhaps better way of saying that is that it supports a few, but absolutely not all services. I, I, I just don't understand why every device manufacturer is finding it necessary to come out with 
their own voice service. It is going to be confusing for customers. Each one operates differently than the other. And this is yet one more that only works on very specific devices. I'm not excited about this. I am looking forward to this failing miserably. Yeah. And I don't, I don't understand why you would use this because any of the devices that support this also support Google Assistant and Amazon's Assistant, which I'm not saying the name of so that I don't trip anybody's Thank system. Thank you. you. Yeah. So those already work and they support more music services. So if you're <laughs> right. a Spotify user, you can yell at the assistant that you actually use and ask it to play whatever you want on Spotify yeah. or on YouTube Music or whatever, Google Music. Now I can't even remember the name of their music service. It's YouTube Music, right? Yeah. Which this is also not on this list. Right. Yeah. So just use the voice assistant you already have, know, and at least like. I was going to say love, but we probably don't love them either. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. Richard, this next story. Yep. What are you drinking? Is, we need to pour one out. <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm pouring one out for this because <laughs> I never owned. That, that's probably not that surprising. No but way. I never owned any version of the iPod. And as of wow. a few days ago, the iPod line was completely discontinued. The iPod and iTunes, like, I, while I've never owned one, I absolutely understand the significance in this industry. When the iPod and iTunes launched in 2003, I really wish they could have made it. Just like they couldn't have I know. made it one they more year. They were robbed for 20. of their 20th birthday. <sighs> robbed. God. Yes, for sure. Like it was huge. It was historic. Were they the first to, to be a portable digital music player? No. Creative maybe even had a better device yeah, in some ways, but with not their a better experience. MP3 players. Right. And Apple just nailed it and really nailed it by pairing it with iTunes, the first really good online music store storefront. So Richard, do you even know how many iPods you've owned over the last 19 years? Not that many, actually. So I didn't own any of the original iPods. Really? I, yeah. Yeah. I resisted. I resisted for a long time. The first iPod that I owned was the metal-backed – actually, metal front and back that was available in black. So there were multiple generations of icons – or of, of icons – of iPods that were only available in white. And then there were multiple variants of that line, like the Mini – Mm -hmm. And I want to call it the micro, but the – no, the nano. nano. The nano, I didn't own any of those. It wasn't until they came out with one with significant storage capability. I think it was 80, I'm assuming, gig? Yeah? Yeah. 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 80 gig that I was ready to make the jump. And when I did, that's the device that – turned me from being a PC to a Mac. Wow. That's the device that got me, that had the halo effect. That's what got me interested in the Mac. You couldn't actually sync it yet <laughs> unless you had an HP PC. What? I think HP was the only vendor they had a partnership with, with iTunes. And so I bought a Mac Mini and I synced it on my Mac Mini. And by using the Mac Mini, I'm like, hey, this is kind of cool. And I ended up using the Mac ultimately more than my next computer was a Mac, even though I continued to use Media Center and stuff like that. But yeah, so it's the end of an age. It's really a shame. It, it, it was an amazing device. But at the same time, we all, I'm sure, still remember that that moment well we all don't but geeks like me do that that day that moment when Steve Jobs stood on the stage and talked about this new device they were coming out that was a phone an iPod and an internet communicator 
And we all thought that was like the craziest thing in the world. Well, not all of us. I, I mean, anybody with a Palm Pilot or a what the crap did they call the Windows Windows Mobile, right? A, a Windows Mobile device back. Like, yeah, I was listening to MP3s on my smartphone yeah, yeah. before the iPhone came sure, out. Sure, sure. No, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 you know, in all fairness, I I worked for a venture organization at the time that was longing for some vendor to come out with a device that could be everything that could do all of these different things. I think the thing that's funny about that is that internet communicator seemed <laughs> like the lamest thing. Like they couldn't come up with a word for that and right. they had to describe it in some way that people would understand. And that's the best they could come up with. The, irony there is that that is what that device is now more than anything else right people don't use it as a phone sure people might use it as an ipod but the reality is it's an internet communication device for sure for sure so the the last thing that i want to point out about the ipod is what you're listening to right now is a podcast which I, I've always kind of hated the name, but that yeah. name came from the iPod. Wonder where that came from. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, like, there's probably a lot of people out there who know what podcasts are and have no idea why they're called podcast. And now there's definitely going to be a big generation of people going forward who have no idea. Why the crap it's called a podcast. But Josh, they don't have to be that. We could call them netcasts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Leo. Even Leo gave up on that. <laughs> uh, like, I, his, his intentions were good, but netcast was not the answer. <laughs> don't go against Apple. You'll lose. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, well, let's move into a little bit of, of gaming news here. Uh, first up, Sony has announced some more details on what games are actually going to be available in these new PlayStation Plus tiers that are right around the corner from launching. So the, the counts here are going to be a little bit weird. So according to my count, because I don't like double count some of these games, like uh, Ghost of Tsushima's in there and the director's cut, that's one game, folks. That's not too... Like, you're not going to play the non-director's cut, so that that's one game. So I counted 38 games from Sony, the big ones being Ghost of Tsushima, God of War, Spider-Man and Spider-Man Miles Morales, Horizon Zero Dawn, Last of Us, Uncharted. Those are the really big ones from Sony. What ones aren't in there? Horizon Forbidden West, the most recent one. Last of Us 2, that's more than a year old at this point, I think. And that's kind of the problem here, right? And this is what we've been saying. Like, it's really nice that the the PlayStation Plus middle and, and top tier, the extra and the premium tiers are now going to have these video game libraries. But unlike Game Pass, they don't have the day one exclusive launches. They're not going to. I I understand why they think they shouldn't, but apparently it's working for Microsoft. It seems like it ought to work for them too, but they're not down with that yet. Uh, but it's not just Sony games. They've also got uh, some pretty big names from third-party studios. I counted 24, but I know it's more than that. Um, the the big ones there, Control, Dead Cells, Final Fantasy 15, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is fairly recent NBA 2K22. That's obviously the most recent basketball game from the 2K series. Red Dead Redemption, the biggest and most, well, it's the most recent game uh, from, from that studio. It'd probably be nice if Grand Theft Auto was in there, but it's not. So a lot of, of good games coming to the service when it launches June 13th in the US, but then also announced within the last week is that Ubisoft Plus is coming to PlayStation on the launch of the new PlayStation Plus. So on June 13th, you're also going to have access to that. So this is where the numbers get weird. Ubisoft Plus says 27 games. So obviously when Sony said 24 third-party games, 
they they included some of the Ubisoft games, but not all of them. So it's probably more like 40 to 50 third-party games that'll be available. And there are some bigger ones, but they're not calling this Ubisoft Plus. They're calling this Ubisoft Plus Classics. And I don't even know that that's really the right name because these games aren't like PlayStation 2 games. They're still like PlayStation 4 era games. Uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I'm pretty sure is the most recent Assassin's Creed. The Division, but not the Division 2. For Honor, those were some of the biggest ones, but a lot of the other big name Ubisoft titles are in there. It's 27 games at launch. They expect to have 50 games by year's end. All of that is good. Like, this is great if you're a a Sony gamer. It's unfortunate that you're not going to get the big, huge games from Sony on day one. That doesn't mean that third-party studios won't launch their games on day one on the service. You know, maybe Ubisoft's next big fall release comes out day one on Ubisoft Plus Classics? Probably not if it's called Classics, but that's where this next part of this comes in, and that is that they did say, Ubisoft here has said, that the full Ubisoft Plus service will be coming to PlayStation and Xbox. They didn't say when, but this is this is big, and this is what we've really been hoping for, especially on, on the Xbox side, because right now Ubisoft Plus is only available on PC, Stadia, and Luna, which Stadia and Luna are just essentially PC game streaming platforms, so that makes sense. And the the really big difference between Ubisoft Plus and a, a service like Xbox Game Pass is while it is their biggest games and they they put them out there on day one release, the big difference is they also offer the top tier versions of their games that include all of the DLC. Game Pass doesn't do that. You know, I was just talking with a friend this morning and he said, when the heck is the the first Forza Horizon 5 uh, expansion going to launch? Like it should have been out by now. And then we both said, yeah, but we're going to have to pay for it because <laughs> it won't be on Game Pass. And we've played Forza Horizon 5 through Game Pass. So when it comes out, we're going to have to choose how much we actually want to play it because we're going to have to buy an expansion for a game that we really only have access to because we're paying for this subscription service that we could stop paying for at any moment. Yeah, that's such a weird thing. It's so weird. It's so weird. So it'll be really cool to see Ubisoft Plus, the full version, come to both of these services. And really the big question is just going to be, does it change the price of the subscriptions? Because when EA Plus came to Game Pass... That's not what it's called. EA Play is what it's called. They made it so that it's only available if you're a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber, which is $15 a month, not the $10 a month that, that Game Pass regularly is. So I, I don't really want to see that subscri- subscription go up even more to get the Ubisoft games, but it might, and it, it would be hard to argue that it shouldn't. I mean, it's... It's one of the biggest game publishers out there. So, yeah. So that's it for for the Sony stuff. On the Xbox side, very small bit of news here. The latest Alpha Skip Ahead Ring release. I hate the way Xbox names all of these different preview <laughs> programs. It's so dumb. So that is the earliest uh, release, earliest software the least stable software that you can get on your Xbox. They've added one potentially cool feature for you, and that is noise suppression for party chat. If you've ever played Xbox online with friends, you've heard their kids in the background. You've heard people screaming. You've heard pets. You've heard crunching. Like you have to hear a lot of people whenever you're doing online voice communication with, with with people, right? So having built-in noise suppression could be a really good thing if it's done well. If it's not done well, it could dramatically decrease the audio quality 
uh, that, that you're getting in party chat. But Microsoft has a lot of experience with this type of thing. I would expect this to at least be pretty decent, maybe not perfect. And I do think it's fair to point out that Microsoft's own most recent headset that I was super excited about when they announced it actually doesn't do this all that well. It has noise suppression built into the headset and it feels like it's reversed. It feels like it actually boosts the sound (laughs) of everything going on except for the person that I'm trying to talk to. So we'll see. Typically when these features come to the alpha skip ahead ring, as long as they're working fine, they're, they usually get pushed out to the general public within one or two months. So we're probably not going to have to wait long for uh, noise suppression in party chat on Xbox. All right. Well, that is it for our gaming news. I can shake Richard awake now and, and ask him what's going on in his entertainment center. I'm totally awake. Not a whole lot, actually, because I've been heads down on a new project. So, uh, these days I have been watching Star Trek Strange New Worlds. There's only two episodes out. There will be a third one out by the time you're probably listening to this. I am so, so excited about this show. Each episode has delivered. It is the Star Trek I have been wanting for years. It is episodic. It is not serial. So you can just jump in and watch something. And yet it still has wonderful references to the worlds that we know from past shows. So loving this show. Also started watching Heartstopper, a new show on Netflix. This is us and new Amsterdam. I am way behind on them trying to catch up as much as I can. And for some reason, and I can't tell you why exactly, because I didn't pick it. We rewatched the movie Aquaman. This movie, this poor movie, this movie you re- was, wait, you rewatched it. This movie is generally panned by people who like and follow the DC universe. But I love this movie. I really do. I think it is incredibly creative. I think it's a decent story and I like the actors that they got to uh, to to play the roles that they did. I'm glad we'll be seeing more of them in an upcoming movie. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna wear it. I, I there's no shame here. <laughs> I like it. And um finally I bought a CD on eBay what? because what? <laughs> I couldn't get a specific soundtrack, a specific score that I wanted on digital form. It's not available anywhere. So I bought a CD. Yes, I could wow. probably have pirated it somewhere, but I don't do that. So it arrived today, at which point I realized that we don't have one device unpacked, installed anywhere, capable of not just playing, but even ingesting a CD. Right. <laughs> So I had to go digging through boxes to find something that would allow me to rip it to put it up on my Apple Music cloud service. And now I have this new soundtrack that I'm very happy about. So Yeah, my my desktop computer has I'm not I'm not even sure what sort of it's it, maybe it's a Blu-ray drive? I don't even know. It's it's probably a Blu-ray drive. All right, so and that'll it, play a CD. Which will definitely play a CD. Yeah. But that's the only computer in my house. You know, obviously none of the laptops have uh, CD drives in them anymore. It, you know, Jen asked me the other day. Uh, I, I was I was talking about um, uh, getting movies from the library because I, I was talking about wanting to watch. You know, some some classic movies that just aren't available on streaming services, like The Godfather. I've never seen The Godfather movies, and yeah. The, the rental prices seem a little high, especially if I want to be watching a lot of this stuff. And I thought, well, why pay for them if I could just go to the library right down the street and pick up a, a Blu-ray? And she said, well, do we even have anything that'll play a Blu-ray? Yes, we have an Xbox Series X, so that's not a problem. But yeah, for, for ripping music off of a CD, yikes. I, I do fortunately have one device that could do that, but I bet most people don't. It, it was... 
an interesting exercise. I didn't expect it to be <laughs> quite as complicated as it was. But, well, and what software did you have for doing that? Well, so Apple Music just has the ability inherently to still do that as a leftover from iTunes. I'm kind of amazed it still has it. Because <laughs> Apple, yeah. like they rip out features oh, totally. that no one uses anymore. Totally. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, I was able to do that. Also, by the way, I know we've mentioned this before. You mentioned your library and videos from your library. The Godfather isn't available in this service, but it's a good time to remind people that if they have a local library where they can get a free library card, they can probably also get access to the free streaming service Canopy, which has access to hundreds and thousands of classic films that you probably won't find elsewhere. Yeah, great, great tip there, for sure. All right, nice throwbacks there. How about that? Well, All right, what have you been watching? For me, uh, I'm going to hold off on what I've been watching first. Uh, I, I've I've talked a couple of times over the last month or so about the Sofa Baton X1 remote that I, I got it more than a month ago, maybe a couple of months ago at this point. Tried it initially for a little while, had some issues, came back to it. I'm done. Uh, I, I'm I'm done with this thing. It's it's just not worth the effort. Like, oh wow! It's promising. I I mostly like the remote itself. Um, like everyone else, the back button for the little on-screen display thing is terribly located. Fortunately, you shouldn't need to use it all that often. So I, I can get past that. But there are some other things that I, I just can't get past. And I think the biggest one is the the everyday regular usability problem of the fact that this remote needs to be woken up for it to work. And the way that you do that is you press a button. It doesn't have a gyroscope in it. Like it doesn't know that you just lifted it up or anything like that. And even that isn't enough because a lot of times you're just sitting there with the remote laying on your lap or whatever, right? Or on the arm of your couch or, or whatever. And if the screen turns off, then the remote needs to be woken back up by pressing a button and then waiting for it to actually wake up before your next button press will actually do anything. Yeah, that's just nuts. It's so bad. It's so annoying. You know, if if you just if you're just trying to change the volume and you you were going to press the volume button a few times, you probably won't notice the delay. But if you're scrolling through Netflix trying to find uh, something to watch and you scroll over and it does a little autoplay thing and you actually want to watch it for 15, 20, 30 seconds or whatever, I'm not sure what the timeout is on this remote, but it is very short. It's less than 30 seconds. And you watch a little bit of that trailer and then decide, mm, actually, it doesn't matter what you decide because you're either going to press an arrow to go to the next thing or press the OK button to select it. Either way, that next button press isn't going to do anything other than wake up the remote. Uh. It is so frustrating. I don't, I don't like... Our good friend Rob H over at the AV Rant podcast. I I don't know how he's dealing with this thing. It is driving me insane, and I feel like I'm I have a pretty high tolerance for dealing with with crap like this, and it's just not happening. I, I don't I don't know if this is something they can fix with like a firmware update. So that's problematic enough. And then you know, two or three days after I reset this thing up. It like lost connection with its hub again. And to fix that, I've got to get up off the couch, go and like do some stuff, pull out the app, get the the remote close to the hub thing. It's just it's just not ready. It's so not ready. If it wasn't doing the disconnect and all of that stuff, I still wouldn't want to use it because of the the previous problem. So and and that's on top of the fact that if you press an activity, say turn on the Xbox and it turns on the TV and it turns on the Xbox, but it doesn't switch to the right input. God help you. Like you're not going to, to be able to fix this from the remote. Mm -hmm. It's possible, but there is no way 
any human being on this planet is going to figure out how to use that fix interface. <laughs> and it doesn't tell you how to use that interface in their manual either. You're just supposed to figure this crap out. I have no idea how Rob H. figured it out. I had to go back and listen to his podcast again to try and figure out how to do it. It's so bad. It's it's just not ready. And I'm really disappointed because I had really hoped that this would be the remote for people to use with the Logitech Harmony series going away. But it's not. This isn't it. Don't buy it. Sorry. So you wrote about five headlines right there. And I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping I can talk you into writing a brief review about this on the DMZ because I, you know, we've talked about this. I worried about this remote from the beginning. It, it's, it's price point seemed frankly infeasible to me for what it was promising. And I didn't necessarily like the layout as much as other people thought that it was a good one. But I, 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 I completely agree with your sentiment that this seemed like a good step after losing Harmony. And there are many people in that position. And I hope that a lot of them didn't end up making the same step or the same mistake that you did thinking this is the savior. Yeah, it sure isn't. And, you know, I, I bought it on, on Kickstarter, so um, I got it for half price. I paid a little under a hundred bucks, I think. And I, I am pretty sure I'm, I'm trying to find it on Amazon because it's supposed to be on Amazon by now, but I don't see it on their own store. But I believe it was supposed to retail for 200 bucks, which didn't seem like an awful price for a Harmony competitor, but... With a screen. With a screen, right. But this ain't it. This is, this is not the solution. Yikes. Okay, so in terms of things I've been watching and playing... Playing, it's the it's the usual. I, I I think the only thing I've played in the last week is NHL and a very small amount of Trek Tiomi that I that I mentioned last week. It's mostly just been NHL. I did watch something other than the NHL playoffs, which kind of done with because my Penguins lost in Game Seven and they're out. Wah, wah. <sighs> yeah, probably the last chance for the squad to win a Stanley Cup. So I'm a little bummed, but. Anyway, I did watch one other thing. It's kind of a big deal. A little movie you've probably heard of called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I never heard of that. Oh, wait. Throw me half a billion dollars. Because <laughs> that's yeah. what it made in its opening weekend. You know, the, the, so the weird thing was we went on the second weekend, Saturday at a 3.50 p.m. showing. And I thought, this is probably going to be a fairly packed theater, which I wasn't excited about. It was not a fairly packed theater. It, 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 was, not, it was not even a little bit packed. There weren't that many people in that theater. For huh. the second weekend of a Marvel movie? Huh. And it was a rainy day. It, like, yeah. It's not like, a, oh, it's May. It's beautiful outside. No, it was a rainy day. I, I, I can't explain that. Weird. It was a good movie. I I enjoyed it a lot more than most of the Marvel movies that that I've watched, and maybe that's because it's fairly different. Maybe it's because I liked the first Doctor Strange more than most of the other ones. Maybe it's because I also like Scarlet Witch. I think she's a really cool character, and it's mostly about the two of them. I'm not going to give away any plot stuff. I'm not going to have any spoilers here, of course. Um, I I was warned, and really th this warning was meant more for Jen. Uh, because my, my friend who told me this knows that Jen does not like scary movies said, listen, this movie, it's, it's kind of like PG 13 slasher movie. Like expect that level of like horror film stuff going on. I'm not sure that he really, uh, captured it well enough. Hmm. Um, there's a, a whole lot of death and it's not super gory, but it, it's, it's in your face. Yeah. And, and it is, it's death. It's not just like, oh, some people are getting knocked out and stuff. And it's like real characters dying, real dying, uh, you know, heads exploding sort of stuff. And, hmm. and then it's got, I, I, this isn't, 
this isn't a spoiler. It's in the trailer that, you know, they're like zombie ghoul sort of things going on in inside of this movie too. This is like, I wasn't scared, but if, if I were a seven-year-old, <laughs> like some of the seven-year-olds that were in the theater with me, this is probably a scary movie. Yeah. And I don't know how this goes on Disney plus. Well, again, Disney plus not just a kid's thing. Not sure how many times we need to talk about that because there's a <laughs> lot of stuff on there. There's all of the Marvel stuff that was on Netflix that is not for kids. Definitely not for kids. I forgot about the Marvel stuff that's on Netflix. Yeah. So mm. I, I'm I'm actually – I'm really intrigued to hear – your perspective on this, because I don't really know much of anything about this other than the fact that a lot of stuff has led up to this, that the, you know, things have been building to this, the, the TV series, the movies prior have been building up to this, which is cool. I didn't necessarily expect that it would be, I guess, gory. And you said it's not as gory, but it's not but gory. in your face death is different than the kind of death that you normally see in a superhero movie where right. you're used to seeing the bad guy get knocked off by the good guy, but you don't see the how. You don't right. see the actual end moment or anything like that. You just know, oh, they're dead because they fell down the gorge or whatever else, right. you know? Exactly. Exactly. But you see how it happens in a lot of these cases. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. In, in terms of, of things that you should watch before seeing this, if you're not fully caught up on all of the Marvel stuff, at the very least, watch WandaVision. You should watch WandaVision. <laughs> right. And you should probably watch the first Doctor Strange. I don't know that you really need to watch anything other than those. Like, obviously, if, if you've watched the full, like, Avengers series, that is a little bit helpful, but it's even that's not really necessary. Does it, I, I suspect, but I could be completely wrong here. Does it help to, or is it useful to have seen the last Spider-Man? No, because this was actually supposed to come out before the last Spider-Man. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And again, we're still de dealing with that. Right. 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 Yeah, so, I, I mean, they both deal with the multiverse, but they're not really connected at all. And I don't, I don't, I don't think it would really matter which order you watch them in. It, it, okay. Like, they're both dealing with the multiverse, but um, it probably doesn't matter. Hmm. Th there is one new character in this that I don't know. Um, I don't know Marvel well enough to know if she's going to be, like, a more common character in more of the movies. But I really liked the new character. I, I liked everything about her. Um, the Her ability, her story, her – just everything about her. I love the actress who played her. She was she was really good. And, and we could definitely use more of her in the Marvel Universe. I don't know if, if we will, but cool. she was cool. Yeah. Cool. So that's my take on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Probably one of the most positive reviews I've given of a Marvel movie. I think it may be the most positive review. I don't know. I really liked Black Panther. I liked Shang-Chi more than most people. Still haven't seen that. You really should. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. That's going to do it for what's going on in my entertainment center and what's going on in this episode of the show. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can do that in a lot of different ways. We're on Twitter. Richard's on Twitter a lot more than I am. But if you want to get a hold of us there, he's at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard. And the website in general is at DigiMediaZone. That'll take you over to the website, thedigitalmediazone.com, where you can find all of the show notes for this show all of our contact information and Richard's other podcast called Home On. Richard, what's the latest with Home On? I am working on getting that next episode out. I have been editing the Home Assistant episode, hoping to have that out. I don't know if it'll hit before this episode hits, but it should be very close. So it's a forward race. To that. <laughs> All right. And 
we typically do this show live. We typically do this show live on Tuesday nights around 8.30 p.m. Eastern. I can say typically because it's two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. (laughs) Two weeks in a row. Yeah. So the first two weeks this year, probably. Oh, man. (laughs) That might be true. I hope it's not true, but it might be true. Uh, Yeah. So... We, we use Twitch for that. You can go over to the digitalmediazone.com slash live and it's embedded right there. Or you can just follow us on, on Twitch and get notified there. You'll also get notified on Twitter when the show is going live. We love having you in the chat room. It is a lot of fun to have, uh, you know, that, that inter- interaction with you all. So please come and join us for the next episode of the live show. Because that's going to do it for episode 589. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.